0: Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. Do you have loans you still need to pay back for your college education? Today, we're going to talk about the latest developments in student loan forgiveness. On June 30th, the Supreme Court struck down President Biden's student debt forgiveness plan. So now what? This hour, I'm talking with guests about how we got to this point and the options that remain if you're working to be debt free. And we're taking your phone calls. I definitely want to hear from you. Do you hold debt from paying for higher education? What were you able to do with your money while your student loan payments were on pause? How will the Supreme Court ruling and the start of repayments alter your finances and your plans? Call us at 651-227-6000 this hour. You can also call 800-242-2828. But first, I do want to check in with NPR senior economics contributor Chris Farrell to get an update on the national economy. Hi, Chris. Hey, Angela. Hi, a lot we, is going on. We have so much to get caught up on. We haven't talked uh, together on the radio for uh, for several weeks. And uh, let's just start with inflation. Uh, I know that we get the latest reading on inflation this week, right?
1: Yes. So this is a forecast, but the expectation is that the news is going to be good. So the Consumer Price Index for June... It comes out on Wednesday, and the consensus expectation among economists is that it will come in at 3%. And for May, it was at 4%. So, you know, you're still above the 2% Fed target rate, but this is going in the right direction. And a major Factor behind the expectation of lower inflation rates is we've seen housing prices come down. You've seen rental lease prices are coming down. Hmm. And that's feeding its way into the system. Uh If you noticed uh gasoline, you know, there's a lot of driving over that f- – Uh, july 4th holiday weekend you know summer months so and then we also get what's called the producer price index and it's the the shorthand is a good way of seeing what's the inflation that companies are dealing with and again the expectation is that number comes out on thursday and the expectation is it'll be a good number
0: so uh what does this mean for maybe fed policy
1: okay as we're talking right now it means nothing that's, I mean, there, 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 there's no other way to put it. The Fed governors have been out there. They're worried about inflation. Okay. It's coming in lower, but maybe it's just a, a pause. Maybe it's going to come back. You know, they've been very, very downbeat in their, their assessments. Um, so, and part of it has to do with what is good news. And I want to emphasize. This is good news. We saw another good job number came out on Friday. Two hundred and nine thousand jobs were created. The unemployment rate three point six percent so it's remaining at this half century low uh but that's why there is this feeling that the Fed is going to at least hike its benchmark interest rate one more time when it meets in july uh twenty five twenty six f o m c they're gonna get around that table. They're gonna play a little poker a little uh so, you know so are still <laughs> Still, they're going to do what they're going to do. That's going to do, do what the Fed's going to do. That's what seems to be uh, going on right now.
0: And again, uh, with uh, employment, uh, any more specifics on employment
1: numbers? Well, just to give another couple of – so you, you see average hourly, hourly earnings for private sector workers, they rose 4.4 percent from a year earlier. So that's good. People getting paid more. Of course, that's another reason that it feeds into why people think the Fed will hike its benchmark interest rate. And where the real strong gains in employment were in government, health care – Social assistance and construction the one uh true negative in the in the number we don't know whether this is a uh whether it's a blip or it's the beginning of a trend, but black unemployment rose to six percent
0: and recession how are um economists talking about the predicted recession or the recession
1: um, has anything changed there so you know we we've had this conversation. The expectation has been that the economy is going to go into recession as the Fed hiked its interest rate. That has been a big part of the con- the conversation. And those fears are starting to fade. I mean, you can't get rid of them. You, and legitimately you can't get rid of them, but this economy really has the story of this economy has been about its resilience and it has been a big mistake to underestimate the economy. Consumers have, have been spending and employers, um, continue to, you know, to hire and inflation rates can Continue to come back. I mean look, take a step back. Unemployment at a half century low, inflation coming down, employers still looking for workers. Not bad. And so is it reasonable to believe that um the
0: the job market will stay? strong and at least in the next couple of months.
1: I think so and and Andrew, I was plucking these sort of news stories that I that I was following just to uh give examples of why I think the job market's going to stay pretty pretty strong. You know, we talked about in the past about how uh you know, Google and Facebook, I mean, I know they've kind of changed Meta, but let's just mm-hmm. call it Facebook. Uh Amazon, you know, they're laying off all all these Well, now it looks like with the rise of enthusiasm and money and uh, endeavors around artificial intelligence, maybe the tech purge is over. That's what Challenger Gray and Christmas, which is this outplacement, global outplacement firm, in their latest uh, release, they had that that speculation. Um, You also – there's a story from uh, Bloomberg where it's looking at – Um, when we're, we're, we're running into this shortage of trained workers in so many industries. I mean, it Mm -hmm. seems like every day there's a new factory that's going to be open. There's all this infrastructure. Manufacturing. Manufacturing is really doing well, you know, which has to do with fears about supply chains and being too vulnerable to China. And take a look at this infrastructure project, uh, which is, um, in New York City, they're going to build this, 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 this tunnel, $7 billion. That's going to take a lot of workers. And just one more, which is National Federation of Independent Business. They do a survey of small businesses. And it's latest survey. 42% of owners said, um, that, you know, they're still looking for workers. They have positions they need to be filled.
0: And I read somewhere, I believe I saw a headline about women that women are entering the job market now in bigger numbers.
1: Very big, uh, really. The labor force participation rate for women in their prime working age, which is twenty-five to fifty-four, it hit an all-time high in June. This, is according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and the share of prime working-age Black women is now far higher than any other group of women, according to the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So, um, you know, this is something to really. uh, celebrating. It's a really important trend. And that's why I think we're going to continue to see increased hiring in the coming months.
0: And you know that we're going to spend the rest of the hour talking about um, college graduates uh, or people who went to college for many years, (laughs) maybe didn't didn't get that degree, but we're going to be talking about uh, college debt and loans. Uh, My guests that are joining us uh, weighing in on this Supreme Court striking down President Biden's student debt forgiveness plan. How are people like you and economists talking about this development and the implications of this decision?
1: So it's a negative. It's a headwind. It's not going to take the economy down, but it is definitely a negative. Um, so there are about 5 million student loan borrowers who will need to resume may- remaking their payments. And Moody's analytics says that's going to be close to $275 per month. So that's uh, $5.5 billion a month, $66 billion annually. Well, that kind got of money's got to come from somewhere. You're looking at your budget, right? And you're going to be saying housing, food, I mean, uh, transportation, where's the money going to come from? So, again, that will weigh on the economy. But even $66 billion in in an economy our size, it's a negative, it's a headwind, but it won't take it down.
0: But isn't it reasonable to expect people to pay back their
1: loans? Yes, but you're going from a three-year hiatus where you haven't been paying your loans, you're getting used to – spending your money in other, other ways. ways. And, you know, there was a, – a, and it wasn't that people were were cheating. This was a government policy, mm-hmm. and there was an expectation that the loans would be forgiven, at least, uh, you know, up to a certain level, and – That is no longer the case.
0: So people shifted their financial planning. Their financial planning. right, Right. That's what we're seeing now. All right. Thank you, Chris. Good to have you in the studio with us, Chris Farrell, our senior economics contributor here at NPR News. All right. Thank you, Chris. Now, let's talk more about college loans and forgiving debt. Again, we mentioned millions of Americans trying to figure out what is next with their student loan debt, and that includes tens of thousands of people here in Minnesota. Last month, June 30th, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down President Biden's plan that would have forgiven student loan debt of up to $10,000 for almost all borrowers and even more for some people. Meanwhile, that loan pause during the pandemic finally expiring. It had allowed uh, people to stop making any monthly payments without a penalty. So where are we now? What does this mean for people with debt. As I talk with our guests, a financial counselor and a public policy researcher, we're taking your phone calls. I want to hear your stories. Uh, do you still have a lot of debt from college loans? What were you able to do with that money, your money, while your student loan payments were on pause? How will this Supreme Court ruling and the restart of loan payments alter your finances and your plans? Call us at 651 or you can call 800-242-2828, and uh, let's, let's talk about it. All right, let me bring in our guests. We have Kim Miller here in the studio with me. Kim is a certified financial counselor with LSS Financial Counseling. That's a division of Lutheran Social Service of Minnesota. It's a nonprofit that provides free student loan debt counseling through a grant from the state of Minnesota. Hi, Kim. Welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. We also have with us today, Phenema Now, Finneba is an associate professor of public policy at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She researches debt and social mobility and the causes and the impact of student loan debt. She's also the co-author of a book that came out just last year called A Dream Defaulted, The Student Loan Crisis Among Black Borrowers. Good morning to you, Finneba. Thank you for being with us. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. So first, I would just love to hear from both of you your initial reaction to this news uh, just a little more than a week ago. Kim, what went through your mind? You work closely with, with people trying to get their money right.
2: I think there was an overall level of, of disappointment. I think there was a lot of hope out there that, um, that the student loans would be able to be handled. I know a lot of people put off putting decisions uh, depending on this, this ruling. And so now it's a matter of, oh, man, like, OK, so this, is, this has happened. And now we and right away, my brain went, OK, how do we get the messaging out to help people to, to deal with it right now?
0: Mm-hmm. And and what were you hearing about what people did with the the when the loans were on pause? Were mm-hmm. people saving money? Were they paying off other types of debt?
2: What were they doing with their money? I think it was a mixture of both. I think sometimes uh, people that was it was just a relief that they didn't have to worry about putting it in their budget. There was a mm-hmm. lot of increased cost of living, you know, with mm-hmm. rent and transportation and food, and so I think it was just a matter of it just got absorbed in their daily living expenses. Um, there and there were some people that were able to save, and then or they were able to do extra things. I think. I I hear a lot of times from people, they were like, you know, I don't just want to pay my bills. I want to live, you know, and and that little extra per month allow just a little bit of of extra things that they had been putting off.
0: Mm. Uh, Fenaba, what about you? How would you describe your first thoughts when you heard about the Supreme Court ruling there on June 30th?
3: I think I was cautiously hopeful, but not surprised at the outcome, um, especially given the makeup of the current Supreme Court uh, and what was what we heard during the um, deliberations, um, it just seemed as if uh, many of the justices were not <laughs> on board with the idea of student debt cancellation. So um, many of us were hopeful, but also um, prepared for, for what was going to come down. And you know, I've, uh, I would say um, preparing. To ensure that this was not viewed as an event that was going to end the conversation on student debt cancellation, but was going to be the beginning of Mm -hmm. um, the next steps.
0: And even though we're talking about finances, um, the impact of college loan debt that 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 has on people and and I know you've interviewed many borrowers. How would you describe how how people's mental health is often affected by this?
3: Oh, we have, we interviewed almost 50 uh, Black student loan borrowers, and me, many of them expressed uh, frustration, um, you know, thoughts about failure. Uh, many of them expressed um, how they thought that they were never, ever going to be able to pay these loans off, um, despite having already paid significant amounts on them already. And just not, you know, when they viewed their balances, their loan balances, just not seeing um, themselves making much of a dent, um mm-hmm. so it I think, you know, the research and studies back up that it does have um, you know, strong associations with poor mental health, um, which can impact, you know,
0: day to day decision
3: making. Everything. Mm-hmm. everything. Yes, yes, everything. You know, day to day decision making, long term planning. Um, yeah.
0: Back and it makes some things seem unattainable, maybe home ownership. Absolutely. Right. As Absolutely. An example. Absolutely. So Kim, let's do a little bit of house, uh, housekeeping here. A lot to keep track of. Uh, we've seen some big changes in the world of student uh, loans in the last uh, few weeks, last few years. So help us put some of it into context. Um, during the pandemic, um, you know, borrowers, you know, have not had to make payments on their student loans. It's been a while. Remind us why the loan pause? Why was that even a thing in the first place? How did that come about?
2: Yeah. So I think the the loan pause came about first is because of there was uncertainty in the economy as far as what would happen. And so I think it was offered as a relief so that it was one less thing off of a a person's plate. And so initially it was just kind of a, a March of 2020. It was just kind of announced. Uh, by the that administration of, yeah, so let's do a payment pause. So you don't have to, there's no interest and no payments. For, I think it was initially three months, you know, th- mm. and then it and then it just kind of got extended. extended. like so, mm-hmm. Three months, another three months, and then six months. And then finally, uh, when the Biden administration came in, it was like, okay, now there's a payment pause until we let you know. Right. Uh, just to kind of reduce the uncertainty because it kept on being extended at the last minute. And so... It's over now, right? Mm-hmm.
0: So when do payments become due again? What are the dates that we need to know?
2: Yes. Yeah, so the Department of Ed announced that interest will start to accrue again starting September 1st, but payments are not going to restart until in October of, of this this year. So, so in October payments will start to resume and borrowers should expect some kind of notice either a billing statement or an email or a letter from their loan servicer at least 21 days before their payments are due for the first time.
0: And so what have you been advising people to do right now? It sounds like the first thing is you've got to get educated and know what your options are and how to, how to do this, how to resume things.
2: Yes. And I think, I think it's really great that Veneba brought up the whole pack, uh, the feeling of frustration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think it's good to acknowledge first that yes, student loans, uh, they are complicated. It can be overwhelming. And so people might look at this all and think, oh my gosh, like what am I going to do? But I really encourage small steps. So the very first thing that I encourage everyone to do is to be able to log into studentaid.gov. That is the one-stop shop federal website for all federal student loans. You can do a lot of things there. All of your federal student loan information is there. And for many people, they had just been logging into their loan servicer. But the past three years, that has changed too. Some uh, three major loan servicers left. Now there's new loan servicers. So millions of borrowers have new loans. Uh, people managing their loans, companies, and so log into studentaid.gov. Make sure all your contact information is updated. It will show who your loan servicer is. If it's the same one, great. If it's not, so then things we're have changed, and you may yeah. not even be aware. Yep. Yeah. Right. So for a lot of people, they were like, "I don't even know who's managing my loans right now. I don't know okay. who to pay when mm-hmm. payments resume." And so that is always the good first step.
0: Mm-hmm. And and Finneba, what do you think um, would have happened? What do you think President Biden's loan forgiveness plan would have done if it had not been struck down on June 30th by the Supreme Court? What what could you have seen? What What do you think would have happened yeah. to, for a lot of people?
3: I think it would have provided um, a lot of relief for, uh, you know, millions of borrowers, especially those, for those who have, you know, uh, $10,000 or less, it would have given them, uh, you know, uh, completely erased their, their debt burden, um, and then reduced the debt burden for those who have um, significantly more and met, I should say, the income qualification. Um, I think as far as you know, from a policy perspective, I think it would have provided a nice nod <laughs> to uh, many of us who are understanding that this system needed, uh, needs to be fixed and that we, um, that the government is willing to um, help out <laughs> those for whom uh, a particular policy um, just didn't work the way it was uh, originally intended or, or the, it worked, uh, you know, for some, but have also, you uh, worked negatively for, for quite a, uh, a large a chunk of our population. So I think, you know, it would have given this signal that the government uh, heard, <laughs> is listening, and responded to the, um, the the outcries of people who have really been impacted by this student debt crisis.
0: And Finau, and why do you think student loan forgiveness, why has it become such a, a, an important political issue? Oh,
3: <laughs> um, that's a great question. I think um, one is because... Um, you know the number of young adult uh, families and households for whom who carry this burden, right? And these are uh, voting age <laughs> populations, mm-hmm. you know, um, especially it falling at this, you know, during that period of both the uh, COVID nineteen pandemic and and the twenty twenty election, you know. So I think that that um, helped. But we also saw, you know, prior to. Covid nineteen, this um, wave of uh, both grassroots and uh, policy advocates kind of raising alarm at the at how um, quickly student debt uh, was aggregating in our society and had surpassed other forms of consumer debt that we had, and just you know in in a relatively short amount of time, uh, then the amount that people were accumulating was just really 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 high. And I should also say the number of people that were defaulting. Mm -hmm. And went on those loans. So not paying them um, because, you know, personal issues, uh, you know, and, and, you know, we had the great recession (laughs) a couple of years ago that also, you know,
0: fed into people's inability to pay. Um, So so, a burden affecting quality of life and and making people pay attention to who they were voting for.
3: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we're getting lots of phone calls. I want to bring our listeners into this conversation. Uh, we're talking about student loans and college debt. And I, I, I want to hear from you. Do you hold debt from paying for higher education? And while this loan pause was going on during the pandemic, what were you able to do with your money while those loan payments were paused? And how has this recent ruling uh, by the Supreme Court, um, meaning that uh, the, the payments are restarting, how is it altering your plans and your finances? Call us at 651 651- 2276000 or call 800-242-2828. Let's go to the phone lines in Duluth. Katie is on hold. Katie called in. Good morning, Katie. What's your story? What do you want to tell us?
4: Good morning. I too share in the frustration that it sounds like you've heard a lot of student borrowers. I graduated undergrad in 2005 and had really low undergrad student interest rates, but then when graduate program student interest rates were much higher um, than when I was got married and started having, you know, family, it was either pay for childcare or pay your loans. And so, you know, a lot of my loans ended up having to go into forbearance because we just couldn't even make that income-based, you know, payment. Um, Now, you know, almost 20 years later, I still have a lot of student debt. Unfortunately, you know, haven't needed to make those payments right now, but trying to go through the process of consolidating those with Mohila, I think I'm on my eighth servicer uh, for my undergrad loans. Um, wow. I you know, made and, the 120 payments and it's still uh, not, you know, it's still very complicated to get these uh, forgiven.
0: Katie, I want to know, what did you go to graduate school for? What kind of work are you doing?
4: Uh, I'm actually a physician and I, I went to medical school and, and it's mm. still very complicated uh, for someone, you know, who's uh, been in, in training and, and in school for very a very long time.
0: And I hear in your voice a lot of stress over this.
4: It's it's really just, it's more frustration with the process. I mean, I'm a very educated person and, and it's trying to navigate uh, all the paperwork and trying to uh, apply for the forgiveness. Getting to say that I was in school, I was in my training programs, I, I've worked for nonprofits, is has uh, been a, a huge burden and a huge hurdle.
0: All right. Thank you, Katie, for uh, calling in and sharing your story. A physician, 20 years later, still paying back this debt because it's extremely expensive to go to medical school. Uh, Kim, you work with clients. Is is this very common, the yes. story you're hearing. Yes, right? Katie,
2: you are not alone in this right. situation. We we hear from a lot of people who've been paying on for 20 years. And I, I'm with you in that the public service loan forgiveness process is not a straightforward. There's a lot of hoops to jump through and a lot of paperwork. Um, but there have been changes uh, to the public service loan forgiveness that will allow some of your time that previously wouldn't have counted uh, now to count towards your 120 payments. So I'd be interested and, and maybe uh, slightly hopeful that you'll be able to reach that sooner than later. So what should someone like Katie do? Should she go in
0: and try to meet with
2: a financial counselor? Yes. Uh, get we help. Yeah, we, we have certified student loan counselors throughout the state and uh, Duluth is one of them. We also offer counseling by phone or video as well and so we, uh, for free, because uh, we have funding and support from the state to do that and that they um, will be able to walk you through the process. So again, I know she mentioned you know she is educated, she knows how to do this, but the process can be overwhelming. There's a lot of paperwork and sometimes Sometimes it's nice just having someone us uh, go alongside you, saying, "Yep, you're doing the right thing," or "Yeah, this this paperwork's a little nuanced, um, and uh, and and this is a, a better way to go about it," and just to be reassured. Right. And so, yeah, we can definitely um, help uh, just just kind of reassure her, look at their situation, um, and then and and help her with the paperwork. Those
0: uh, online forms can be a nightmare. Yes. So again, I just want to reinforce that there are people like. LSS, you know, financial counseling and people like you available to assist even the most educated of folks who need help. But also I'm aware too that the the Biden administration, they're they're somewhat trying to make things easier and smooth smooth over this this transition of starting payments again. Uh, What are you hearing, Kim, about what is available to help people restart and find out about the changes that have happened during the last couple of years?
2: Yes. Yeah, so there's a couple of things that are happening. Uh, one is to in Katie's situation, when you work for a nonprofit or a governmental organization, you have access to a program called Public Service Loan Forgiveness. And so what she was mentioning is um, if you make 120 payments on your student loans, the remaining balance then would be forgiven, uh, which is really exciting. But before, prior in January of 2021, very little people uh, qualified, but now that uh, people are doing that. Mm. And so there's also going to be changes, too, uh, going forward with income-driven repayment to make payments more affordable in the future.
0: What does that um, – tell me more about that, income-driven repayment.
2: So there are two types of payment plans that are out there. So one is a general repayment plan where your loans get paid off over time based on your principal and interest rate. And then there's an income-driven repayment plan, which is based on your household size and income. And that sometimes, depending on the situation, can result in a lower payment. And so then the agreement is you pay on the income-driven repayment for a certain amount of time, uh, it can be 20 to 25 years, and then at the end the remaining balance is discharged or forgiven. And that's the payment plan that people can use for public service loan forgiveness. So there's two routes to go, and there's been a new income-driven repayment plan announced called the SAVE plan. And that will start later on this summer, and the Biden administration has said that this will be available to people when payments restart. And the way that it's calculated, it should result in overall lower monthly payments for everyone who pursues the income-driven payment plan, which is really exciting. But as, as borrowers, borrowers need to
0: initiate this. You have to take the action to find out what's available. And yes. Then and yeah.
2: Work. And uh, yeah, the responsibility always relies on the I- individual, which can be hard. Yeah. So um, we just
0: heard from a, a physician, a doctor, 20 years later, still paying back medical school loan uh, debt. Is that something that you have found a lot of, too, in your research that decades later?
3: Yes, uh, this is very common. Um, um, either people have um, been paying the minimum payment, or had to defer uh, for, mm-hmm. you, you know, to return to school. Um, so paying, like I said, paying for many, many years, and mm-hmm. just not seeing make uh, much of a dent in their overall um, outstanding um, amount that they uh, do. I should say, I think this is why this t- subject, you know, resonates with so many people mm-hmm. because. In this population, we have positions, but we also have, you know, a large population of people who have debt and no degree as well. Right. and those tend to be the borrowers that are struggle the most. You know, she, you know, struggle the most with repayment because they may be having some, you know, issues in the labor market and cannot, you know, meet their bills or, or make enough to to meet. And
0: their because payments. of the lack of degree, it affects their. Uh, income, right? How much they can earn. Yes, absolutely. All right, I want to get more into the research you've done, the stats that you have, and the books that you published last year. But I want to get also to uh, more of these phone calls from listeners uh, and come back to you. Uh, In St. Paul, we have Diana on the line. Uh, Diana, what do you want to share with us as we talk about uh, debt from college loans?
5: Um, I just wanted to point out that there's a segment uh, out there, uh, like me, who early on, uh, consolidated our student loans, and that put them in a class of private loans. So we never were able to uh, have the forbearance or the pause in our payments.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and and Diana, what's your situation now? Uh, are, are you still working? What kind of work do you do?
5: Well, I am retired now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did work uh, in the healthcare field, histotechnician. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I am retired now. and I went back to school at at age fifty eight, <clears throat> and uh, that's the student loan I'm paying back now.
0: And so you're still paying back. I am still paying back, yes. Right. Although
5: <clears throat> my payments that I've made equal the initial loans that I took out, so what I'm now paying basically is just the
0: interest hmm And may I, my, Diana, may I ask how old you are now? I'm 77. 77. And so what are your thoughts as you've watched these developments, the pause on loans, and, and, and people like you who, you know, had these private loans, what are your feelings about this and just really just the mental health impact of it all?
5: Well, I I fully expected to pay back my loans. I was disappointed that uh, I didn't qualify. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when they when they said that uh, Pell grants would be uh, considered, because I did have several Pell grants, and uh, none of that has has come to fruition. So I'm a little disappointed, but it is what it is, and I'll just keep paying. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you, Diana, for sharing your story. And what did you what do you hear in that Kim, her situation?
2: I think it just uh, plays to the complicated. Uh, student loan world. So, I mean, it sounds like she did have federal student loans uh, and beyond her, and and she didn't choose them, but she was given uh, maybe, from what I understand, uh, FFEL loans, which, you know, borrowers prior to 2011, it was a mix of either you get direct or you get FFEL, and some were uh, managed by uh, companies, private companies, so they would they, they were called private, but they were still federal student loans. But yes, they have been excluded from a lot of these conversations, and so yeah, and but it's it's not and they borrowers didn't know, and so we do hear that a lot too, and so you know there are options, and that's where you know depending on people's situations they can explore. Another consolidation to see if a, a different federal student loan would mm-hmm. would get, provide them better options.
0: Not all those are, are the same. A lot, a lot yeah, of right. It's a, lot the of same, but a lot of same questions. And so, Finabba, uh, in the introduction, I talk uh, about a book that you wrote that was uh, co-wrote this year that was published last year. Uh, it really looks at student loans and black borrowers. borrowers. And I, I want to share a statistic um, as as we talk about this. We know that that black borrowers are among those. Uh, hit the hardest by debt and a study um, that was done 20 years ago, um, found that the median white borrower had paid off 94% of their student debt, while the median black borrower still owed 95% of their student debt. Um, And you researched some of the reasons for this. And what have you found out in interviews that you've done uh, with borrowers and families uh, about this, this dynamic between uh, white borrowers and black borrowers and why there's just this huge gap in what we see
3: yeah so one thing I, I'll start off by saying is that black borrowers uh, tend to accumulate more debt upon leaving school or upon, so they have uh, tend to have larger or uh, loan amounts that they have to repay um, and, after- and that's related to
0: the generational wealth gap.
3: Yes. Yes. So we connect that in our book and in also some of the work I did before our book by showing how parental wealth is associated with uh, different loan debt accumulation uh, by uh, between Black and white borrowers. So if your family doesn't have the savings or the housing equity to help, you know, uh, you pay for outright for that tuition, then many of our student, many of the, you know, the people that we, we interviewed and the Black borrowers are attending to take on loans. And this is across the black wealth distribution. So even like, which we, we might classify as middle-class black household, mm-hmm. you know, children coming from middle-class black households are take on uh, significantly um, much more student loans than their white counterparts. Mm.
0: Let's go back to the phone lines and talk with a listener in Rochester. Kate is on the phone. Good morning, Kate. Thank you for waiting. And, and what's going on with you and, and uh, college loans? Good morning. Um, thanks for taking my phone call. I'm a mom of two kids. Both
6: are uh, in higher education. Uh, So we're retired, and so we we have not planned on helping our kids with their student loans, especially their graduate school. Um, What I find interesting is everybody keeps talking about loan forgiveness, which I don't, I look at it as right now as a generational thing. It would help one generation of people, not people prior to this generation, not people after. But no one ever talks about the interest rates. I have two kids with some loans at 8% interest. People were able to buy a house for like 2% recently. And kids were taking student loans out for 8%. And um, it's, I just found it interesting. Society has created this where you have to have extra degrees. For instance, my son's an audiologist. It used to be a master's program. Now it's a doctorate. So that uh, accumulates more education, which accumulates more debt. And, uh, and my daughter is in medical school. So it's, it's very interesting that we're talking about loan forgiveness for one generation, which in the big picture, I think that it would be fair to everyone if we would address the interest rate problem.
0: Um right. Thank you. That's uh, um, Kate. Kate and Rochester talking about interest rates. Let's take another phone call. In St. Louis Park, we have Susanna on the line. And Susanna, what do you want to share with us as we talk about uh, college well, loans and debt?
5: Coincidentally, I also have a uh, concern about the interest rates or just plain interest. My daughter, uh, a some years ago, maybe just five or six, to become a nurse midwife and work at a county hospital. And serving vulnerable and immigrational uh, women, took out a loan for eighteen thousand dollars. Didn't even touch that. Didn't even touch the cost of her education. She now eighteen. She took out eighteen. She now owes twenty seven thousand. That is so unethical. She's paying the government. Uh, She'll never get ahead of that. Mm -hmm. Paying that kind of interest. Uh, It just is so frustrating. All right, Susan, I uh, want to talk
0: to our guests about uh, interest rate. What, What do people need to know about what happens typically with the initial loan amount and then the interest and what that looks like over time, Kim?
2: Yes. Yeah, so in the general repayment, uh, interest is built into the payment because then your loan gets paid off over time. But I I believe maybe what this caller is referring to is the the daughter is in an income driven repayment plan where when it's based off of your household income and size, sometimes the payment is so low that it does not cover the interest on the loan. So, yes, your loan will get larger over time. The trade off though is is that the hope is that you know she works for the county, she would a- have access to public service loan forgiveness that program so she would make payments for 10 years and then the remaining balance of that loan then would be forgiven. So sometimes yes the loan does get larger over time but there are programs out there then that um then they don't actually have to pay off all of it um which can be helpful. And the new income driven repayment plan that's coming up here for mm-hmm. undergraduate loans will remove that interest will not be added on to the balance going forward for undergraduate loans, so borrowers will not see those loans get larger over time anymore. So that, that's an that's a change. Yeah, that yeah. is a change. Yeah. So which which can be helpful.
0: So Fendeba, as, as we think about some of these these loan amounts, um, you know, and sometimes the loans are not considered that big. Um, But they even loans in smaller amounts can really weigh people down. And I want to hear more about what you've discovered in your research about, um, you know, how people really get into distress and really get in a a bind over these uh, loan payments.
3: Yeah, I think it really where we see the biggest effects are people altering their decision-making, right? Or feeling, and feeling overwhelmed. I wanted to address um, one point that mm-hmm. the first caller Kate made mm-hmm. about, um, one of the things we talk a lot about when we talk about the system of higher education is the requirement for increased credentialing. So people who have, or may already have a college degree, but in their line of work, you know, independent of whether or not the job is, you know, uh, you know, a physician or or a teacher, the, the need to go back and get more certifications and more that, you know, that require uh, taking on more and more debt, right? So this is really, you know, speaks to uh, what, you know, what higher education has become um, and how we have used debt to finance uh, education for this, like, you you know, she kept saying a generation, but she's right. It's, it's, it's intergenerational, right? Because what we want is actually reforms or policy reforms that won't let this happen to the next generation that's coming up, right? So, uh, previous generations had their tuition and um, their costs highly subsidized by the government, but now we see, you know, starting with you know the eldest millennials and those who have come after, um, you know, bearing an increasing uh, amount of the costs associated with pursuing um, higher education.
0: And, Finwa, do you think that we will see an increase in delinquency and, and default? Uh, on loans compared to uh, the years before the, the pause on payments and, and why?
3: I, you know, I hope not. <laughs> I think that a lot, even though we didn't get the that de- cancellation under the Biden plan, the Biden administration has addressed a lot of the issues around what we tend to call administrative burdens associated with the debt uh, paying re- repayment process. So if people you know, if we can get the information to them on how to access and, you know, like um, Kim pointed out, the uh, studentaid.gov website, you know, just providing as much information as people can have, um, which will help them navigate their student debt repayment. And hopefully we won't have too much. I will also say that I think um, we need to think about um I think a lot of the, the changes that they've made have also made holding student debt less punitive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these uh, issues that people are having with not paying, not paying enough or, you know, and they're having their interest accumulate over time. The changes that they have made have kind of reduced that burden. Um, so hopefully um, for those who have outstanding debt, they'll see less uh, increase over time um, as they pay down their debt. Uh, Kim, you're you're nodding aggressively. What did you want to say?
0: <laughs> <I'm>
3: just, <laughs> I just, I,
2: I just, yes, I, I, I agree. I just think it's. Um, it's just really there's, – there's been a lot of changes, and um, I'm I'm a little nervous when repayments start. I just think we're living in a pressure cooker right now. There's an increase in credit card debt, increase in car loan payments, increase in interest rates, and, and then adding in the student loan payments on top of that. I think people will feel the pinch uh, even more, um, and so I think – yeah, I think just just encouraging people to explore their options and not delay. Um, I've been telling people with with student loans, just uh, start pretending to pay your payment now. You know, uh, figure, you know, just determine what your monthly payment might be and start putting it aside in a savings account. And if it's affordable, great. If not. Then you have it in savings to use again, and then you have a couple of months to try to to readjust. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the Biden administration has an on ramp now. Uh, when people, if they're experiencing struggles, uh, it's not going to be held against them. They're not going to be reporting to the credit bureaus quite yet, um, and so it it will give people a, a time to adjust to to work on getting their their payments back into their budget. I'm just envisioning people getting up in the morning, working working, maybe working a
0: second job and still feeling and knowing that they are underwater, that they still can't meet all of their monthly requirements. Mm -hmm. Um, And is, is that a lot of the people who sit across from you in meetings?
2: Yes, we hear a lot of, you know, I, I, you know, I have money. I only have a certain amount of money. You know, what happens if after I pay my bills, I only have forty dollars for extra things? And then what do I do? And so, then it's a matter of a, a determining how can we reduce the overall debt burden. See what kind of community resources are available, um, and then yeah, just explore other other things. Um, with federal student loans, there there are still a lot of different options. if, if going back into repayment is just not a, a a reality right now, you know. Then they can go back into. They can choose to then opt into a deferment or forbearance for economic hardships. So, so that's an option. There is still yeah, that still is an option. So for individuals, they can for a limited time. But you have to prove it. Somehow. sometimes there's yeah involved. yeah there, there's a or, or the, you, you, mm-hmm. they have to call in and mm-hmm. and, and or and, and that can take time too and and but your it. thoughts about that uh just as a person
0: um working full-time maybe working a second job and the math it just does not work um right what are you seeing or <laughs> I, I mean what are your thoughts on that you know
3: i do worry i do worry about people's mental health <laughs> i worry about the choices and decisions they feel they may have to make um, you know, um, if they are, uh, you know, if they feel that the government isn't going to provide this kind of relief, where are they going to be, um, you know, taking from and not paying over there instead to pay these, to meet these loans that the government now has put back on, you know, onto their plate. So are they not going to pay their medical, you know, pay for the medication? Are they not going to, you know, uh, you know, be able to eat or, you know, I, I, I don't want to be too extreme, but I do know that when people have constrained um, budget, but it sets so they make uh, tough decisions and have to substitute out or, you know, um, make some hard decisions about um, both short and long term
0: planning. Let's take another phone call from a listener in Minneapolis. Uh, Christina is on the line. And Christina, what do you want us to know about uh, student debt and college loans?
3: Well,
7: I'm go- I apologize because I'm going to have to deter a little bit from my original question. But it does have to do with private loans. And I'm still confused about what I should be listening to as far as where um, is everything just about federal loans? What should I listen to and where can I go to talk about private loans? Yeah. Do you have student debt
0: and and how much? Oh boy, I
7: have about 90,000. I have a master's and I have a bachelor's Mm -hmm. and I really appreciated the uh, callers who talked about interest rates because, Mm -hmm. uh, I won't get into that, but I I wonder why, and if you could tell me why private loans have not been included in the conversation, and what people what can people with private loans do moving forward? Mm-hmm. Um, will the counselors know about private okay. loans? And one more and one more question works? for you,
0: Christina. Just, what is your monthly payment uh, like for the private loans that you're repaying?
7: Well, I stopped paying because of the the uh pandemic, but before that it was about five hundred dollars a month, mm-hmm. and I was making regular payments in the past twenty years. I maybe missed two because I was switching jobs
0: mm-hmm.
7: and they were good about it, but it only it took about twenty years to pay off the interest Wow which
0: is crazy. Oh. And well, Christine, no I want to give our, our guests no, no, no. a chance to talk about your situation. So again, we said not all loans are the same. This, this, mm-hmm. People need to know um, the differences and, and the rules are different depending on the type of loan. So uh, private student loans, what do we need to know about that? Okay.
2: So, uh, without taking up the rest of your time on your show, I'm just going to say if you log into if you if you can log into studentaid.gov, the loans that show up on your loan dashboard are federal student loans. Depending no matter who loan services them. So, if you were under the payment pause, more than likely they're federal student loans. Now, uh, there are private student loans that you just there there just you have to go through a credit check. They are just like any other unsecured loan. Like like Sally Mae was a popular one that type of uh, places. Um, but unfortunately, with private student loans, they haven't been included in the conversation because they are exactly that, private, unsecured debt. So and you're so, at the mercy of the lender. Correct. Yeah. Yes. And so unfortunately, so then you'd have to work directly with that particular lender uh regarding your private loan to see if there's what your options are regarding repayment. But normally, it's just a standard general, you make a payment, you got to pay it off over time.
0: We just have like a minute and a half left here. I want to know why is this topic uh, important to you? You chose to write a a book about it. Uh, Is there something in your own personal history that has made you want to focus on this and make people aware of the the history and the future of, of, of debt repayment?
3: Absolutely. So as, uh, as I said earlier, I'm an older millennial. I am a black woman. <laughs> I fall into all the you know, demographics mm-hmm. that are associated with having and have accumulated some of the highest debt burdens. I and mean, I saw it when I finished college. These were the conversations that me and my friends were having about the large loan payment that came due six months after we, we graduated. And the debt collectors nonstop calling and harassment that we have that we faced as we struggled. We felt we finished right after around like 9 11 so it was mm-hmm. really you know really really tough job market for many of us um, and and you know we just the lack of assistance I should also say that my mother took on parent plus loans we didn't get a chance to talk about that this morning but mm-hmm. um, she also took on loans for my sister and myself and uh, quite a bit of loans and took a while to pay those back as well and experienced many of the same issues that many of the callers uh, called in and, and spoke about so it's personal for me but then it's also as a researcher interested in social mobility in higher education in Um, how, you know, how can we improve our society um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and and get everyone access to education? I think this is, you know, believe well,
0: really, of the day. Yeah, we move closer <laughs> to solutions when we have a better Same. understanding uh, of, of challenges. I want to thank our guests this hour and our callers as well. We've been talking with Kim Miller, a certified financial counselor with LSS Financial Counseling, and Finneba Otto, an associate professor of public policy at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Uh, this conversation was produced by Maya Beckstrom. Thanks for uh, joining us. And we'll talk again tomorrow morning at nine.